welcome to the Tech Story Podcast, where storytellers kibitz about technology that makes us go, hmm, what's that about? Now introducing your host, Doug Thompson. Oh, hair all done? Okay. Okay. Hey, everybody. Thanks for joining Tech Story. Today, my guest is Emily Edgley, all the way from down under in Australia. So we're like a date. She's she's time warped. She's ahead of me. How you doing, Emily? I'm great. Good to see you. Thanks for having me on the program. You too. Thanks for coming. So as I ask all my guests on this one, and you come from a technical background, so what's your favorite tech story? Yeah, I was thinking about this. For me, the the tech that's really impacted me, if I think about the last 12 months, has been more groups. It's probably nothing very sexy tech. But if I think about when I left the corporate world and I started out on my own, I had this time where I felt very much alone and I really missed my colleagues. I came to a realisation at a couple of months in that In fact, I'm not alone at all. I have almost a virtual team. You know, it's also through things like LinkedIn, but joining groups of entrepreneurs, I found out I can have a sense of connection with people and I can feel like I am part of a team and I have, you know, people cheerleading me on and I have people that I can ask questions about and I can go to. It's just virtual. So even though I was physically alone in my house working away, I had people right there. And then this same thing happened again when I then had my baby. Mm-hmm. It was almost exactly a year later after I left my, my career when I had my baby. Then I found, you know, I feel like I'm alone. I, you know, I'm not really sure what I'm doing. Uh, and even though we couldn't really go in person to a lot of the mothers groups, I joined some mothers groups online and I found actually there's so many people going through exactly the same thing again I can ask questions and I can teach people things and I can share my wins and I can share the challenges and so when I thought about okay what is what does tech mean to me and what is the one thing that has meant the most in the last 12 months it's that sense of connection that I have felt and I especially even again now in COVID-19 where you can't actually go and meet people being able to have these virtual coffee catch-ups or podcast interviews or whatever it is has been so important to that sense of connection. So that is what I was thinking when you said tech story. No, and that's perfect. You actually sort of got a head start on on all this, uh, you know, with the, with the COVID nineteen stuff. You know, we mm. at Microsoft we have a product called Teams, which is video chatting and stuff like that. And before yeah. this took place, I was probably about the only one that would use a camera when we'd have a meeting. Most people would have the audio on. It'd be just sort of like a conference call. But yeah. since that's we've had this now, I'd say almost everybody has their camera on, so we're all sort of missing that that seeing people, uh, you know, getting exactly. that, that sort of camaraderie you used to have, and so it's it is it's a vital piece. And when it doesn't work, oh, that's frustrating. I saw this meme the other day that what a, what a Zoom call reminds everybody of is it has all the Muppet shows where they used to <laughs> start oh, had yeah. all the Muppets on it. It can't get a bit busy sometimes. <laughs> Yeah. So, no, well, I find that I, I wasn't really a big caller before. Mm-hmm. Like I, I know you posted something a little while back about how to stay, uh, you know, well in this COVID-19 era. And I have found that I have been calling people a lot more and, and wanting to connect in that way rather than just sending a text. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. I, and I think that's one of the benefits that has come out of this is the embracement of this is a viable medium to stay in touch, to do mm-hmm. things. So that's cool. So what's your, what's your, uh, we'll do, we'll do two things. Cause you, you are a storyteller, you are a keynote speaker. So we'll do what's your elevator pitch and then we'll follow it up with sort of why, why, what's your why? Yeah, sure. So my elevator pitch is I work with people that are in technology that either hate public speaking or they feel like they're no good. People hate public speaking. What people hate that? <laughs> what the? And I take them to a place where they can start to enjoy it and they can really nail their their speeches, whether that's at work or whether that's at a conference. Okay. And, and, you know, I find the same thing. It was, I love a stage. I love the connection you get with the audience and the ability to sort of share something. And, you know, if I have one person that comes up to me after the session's done and they, you know, mm. I took this away. Then it's like, wow, okay, I, my job's done, right? If I can get you know, if yeah. you get everybody, just amazing. But even if it's just one person, that's pretty cool. Yeah. So what got yeah, you great. into this? I mean, you were you were like an Uber security nerd type thing before, and totally. it's well, first of all, you're somewhat of a in in the security world having a, having a woman do that role is a bit of a unicorn, anyways. And then having one yeah. that 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 likes to present and talk and, and help other people is even, is even more. Yeah, I was very nerdy. I loved maths when I was at high school. I had no idea what I was going to do. Rather shy child as well. Definitely wouldn't have said I liked uh, speaking <laughs> in public. Then I went on and did cybersecurity, which is, yeah, it's a bit different. But to me, I just loved it. I love a challenge. I love figures. I love things that make sense, black and white. That, that's me in a nutshell. And then I think it was... As I went through my career, I really struggled with presenting. It bothered me, though. It bothered me enough that it made me, motivated me to do something about it. And as I started to try and learn from the best, that's when I figured out, like, what is it that these experts are doing that can captivate people and influence behavior change in 18 minutes, like a TED Talk? And all the answers and all the directions kept pointing back to storytelling, And so I decided, okay, this is like, to me, it was like magic. That's what it seemed like. And I was like, I have to figure out and unpack storytelling and figure out like, what is it? Because I know you're, you've always said you're somewhat of a natural storyteller. For me, I was definitely a natural bad storyteller, or that's what I had, you know, that (laughs) conception in my mind. And as I started to unpack it and learn it and practice it, I came to realize that it is something that you can learn. Yes, it might come naturally to some people, but to other people, you have to figure it out. And as I started to figure it out, that's when I thought like, oh, I have to tell other people about this because I went from, I thought that I communicated well, to be honest. Although I remember when I was doing English at high school or university or whatever, uh, like an essay, I would sit there literally like crying and like pulling my hair out thinking like, this is terrible. But as I learned some of the techniques and the little tips and the approaches to storytelling and, and I figured out how I could make it work for me, that's when I started to teach other people and it just organically started to grow. So my boss at the time decided, why don't you go to China and teach them there about the art of storytelling? So I went there and then I, they said, why don't you go to India? And so I went to India to teach storytelling and at that period of time as well, our organization was going through a massive change 
in terms of a big restructure and they were sort of throwing all our roles in the air and we had to make a decision of whether we wanted to stay in our role, uh, change to another role or leave the organisation. And by no means did I think at that time I'm going to become a public speaking coach at all. I just thought I love helping people because I was starting to run these workshops and get a bit of a name for myself. It was 11 years that I'd been at the organisation and I decided if I don't leave now, when I have an opportunity, I could take a package and I've got a little bit of time to think about what I'm going to do with my life after, I will never leave. And so I just thought, just jump, just do it. What's the worst that can happen is it doesn't work out. And so I left about a year and a half ago now and I've been very fortunate that there was a lot of opportunities that came my way as soon as I'd finished in the tech and the security industry mostly helping people prep for conferences. There's been a little bit of an angle helping women prep for conferences and get more women on the cybersecurity speaking circuit, which has been amazing to put sort of two of the passions that I had together. And yeah, that's essentially what happened. I was very lucky to leave, follow my passion, do something where I feel like I'm really giving back to people. And I'm almost helping a former version of myself, if you want to call it that. So I struggled with public speaking. I know what a toll it can take on you emotionally, what it can do to your career, and I don't ever want other people to go through that again. So that's essentially what drives me to do what I do. And also storytelling is the thing that I felt changed the course of my public speaking and then the course of my career. So being able to give people that tool is something that I really love to do. Yeah, I heard a phrase there about, you know, your your clients or your former self. And she that sounds like somebody that we share in common, Ruby Lee, might might have said at some point. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so uh, yeah, that's, that's right. we do share that. So you I've done international presentations before. That that gets to be a challenge. You know, it is it is for me because I inject mm-hmm. a lot of humor and there's little tidbits in there and some a lot you know, that lost in translation is real. A lot of times it does change. I didn't realize it until I went there. But yes, some of the stories that you use are not uh, ones that they potentially even understand. The people that you're referencing. Yeah, I think once I did those sessions in the different countries, I realized you actually need to find material that's appropriate for that culture Mm -hmm. and for for the people that you're talking about. So they also educated me on that as well, like saying, oh, why didn't you talk about this? You know, oh, this person, mm-hmm. we, we, we know all about these people. So, yeah, yeah. it's you, you mentioned something that, you know, in, in the, the story making it something they can relate to. How do you go? You know, I, I have a technique that I like to use as I call it sort of taking this. I begin the story with them. So I try to sort of frame a story from their point of view or their frame of mind or they're you know, using a metaphor or analogy or something they're familiar with. Is sort of an anchor and then sort of draw them along into where I'd like them to go from the story. And I find that that sort of helps me. How do you do something similar to that? Do you mean you're putting them as the central character in the story? Is that sort of? Sometimes I I always like to make them, you know, when when I'm, when I'm talking to IT people, you know, which you're very familiar with, a lot of times they're very risk averse to do things. They, they like control. They like things that they've done for years because it's safe. They know it and, you know, uh, it keeps the lights on. But yeah. as, as this is changing where you have the ability to sort of go around IT, you have shadow IT and stuff. And this is just one example that I use mm. is that 
I try to, you know, their their fear of losing that control or doing something different sort of locks him in. And so when I start the story, I will make them the protagonist and I turn it around to the point where, look, you're being the hero. You're enabling some things for other people, you know, some other business owners and things like that, as opposed to seeing a blocker like so many other are. You're being on the cutting edge of turning this around. And And by the way, if you're enabling this, you also have visibility into what's going on. And that's your biggest fear is you don't know what's going on. So it's just simply that's important to them. And I know that. So I will try to frame it in that direction. But other times it is simply they may not be familiar with this, especially with a non-tech person trying to explain a technical technical story is I will use an analogy like a car or something that they have they're familiar with. This is where the metaphors come into play that helps them associate that. And I, and I can sort of get them to understand that because nobody wants to ask a question. You know, they don't want to feel left out of it. Mm. So that's some of the vehicles that I use to sort of attach and get buy-in rather than, you know, them immediately shutting off saying, well, this doesn't apply to me or I don't understand it. You know, you want to sort of yeah. invite them in to play the game, so to speak. And and again, sometimes I try to make them the protagonist as often as I can, it, it, be it, you yes. know, not the product that I'm that I may be selling or not this. Not it's, not. They should be the hero to to do this, and exactly. I'm going to help them. Yeah, no, I love that. I think the what I also do is I just try and pick stories that are appropriate to to them. So I did a session with technology. Well, it wasn't actually just technology people last week. Then I did one for business students, and then I have one coming up for people, and it's a pitching session. So the stories that I have for this one coming up are clearly have to be about pitching. The ones uh, last week were more about a general sort of storytelling. And then the other ones were much more about tech people Mm -hmm. showcasing things. So yeah, I think I just try and I either pick stories that I have experienced or I then make up and, and make them the central character of the stories so that they can relate to the context. What's the most, common question you get asked and what advice is it that you give to people i think the the most common misconception that's sort of like the mm-hmm. most common question i get asked is people think that, that storytelling in a corporate world or yeah storytelling that we're sort of teaching about is something vastly different to what they may already be doing in their personal life mm-hmm. i know when i went over to india they they said to me, oh, we don't just want storytelling, we want business storytelling. And I I had to explain to them, it's actually one and the same. Yes, maybe the <laughs> examples yeah. are different, but it's not like the storytelling is vastly mm-hmm. different, right? I think, and I know I had this misconception, is that, oh, I, I'm a terrible storyteller and I have no stories and I, you know, oh, I don't tell stories. Whereas if, I don't know if you've read this statistic and I, I mean, who knows how accurate it is, but 65% of the conversations that we have day to day are stories. I have also tested this myself. When you talk to people that are your friends, if you have if you feel like you have a close relationship with someone, you generally talk in stories and it's more when you get into the corporate world or maybe you get onto a stage that you change the way that you're communicating, perhaps because you don't know all the people and there's a you know level of you're know, feeling a little bit reserved. I think the thing I try and teach people, one of them, apart from the fact that stories are way more powerful than facts and figures, is that you already a natural storyteller. 
whether you think you are or not. So I think if people can have some sort of faith that they actually tell stories all the time, that gives them hopefully a bit more confidence that it's not this whole new skill that they need to pick up. They just need to readjust what they're doing and replicate that in the corporate world. It sounds like you could have written my TED talk that I did because that was a lot of the same information we oh, got really? out of that. Yeah. Uh, so it, it, I still haven't watched that. I need to watch that because I forgot this to watch This is over. <laughs> <laughs> but but, it, but yes, good minds think alike. Yeah, it is. I think you'll you'll find there was a lot of the research we probably sort of tread over the same pages and research about that is that Lisa Cron wrote a book that we're wired for stories, just the way our brain works. You know, I use a caveman mm. example, and we're, you know, we're, we're that's the way we learn. And that's the way, mm. you know, that we can communicate too. But like you said, a lot of people don't understand it. It can traverse that immediately when we get to a PowerPoint slide, we're, we're supposed to be boring and read off the slide that nobody can do anything. Right. It's just simply, yeah, that's the expectation. And instead, you know, the, the most important or, or impactful thing that I find that people can bring is be, bring themselves. Don't try yeah. to be me or don't try to be you. You know, you, mm. you have to be, you you have to be the story. It has to be things you're comfortable with telling. It has to be in your in your manner to to do that. Mm. You know, we can all improve within our ourselves, right? But we yes. can't yes. be somebody I else. Agree. The the times I've failed miserably is when I've tried to be somebody else. <laughs> no, I I agree. And I think the other thing though that does go along with you know you said don't get up there and read from the bullet points or what have you. I think honestly and not that I want to bash PowerPoint but I feel like it has so much to answer for in terms of our lack of storytelling because most of the time people structure their talk around their slides they put almost their slides down as their notes their bullet points are there of course that means then you're not going to tell stories Mm -hmm. because you're you're almost you're almost going to the bare facts of the details so I think even if people just got rid of PowerPoint that would help immensely in terms of getting them a little bit more comfortable to tell stories. Well, you're, you're killing me with that one, but no, I, you know, I, I, cause I work for Microsoft. Sometimes I'll start off and apologize for PowerPoint, letting you have be bad present presentations, but we've yeah. actually introduced some artificial intelligence in it. Now that says, Hey, you got too many words on this slide, or you've got these other things you can practice with it. So it, you know, realizing that that just because you can oh, do you, it, shouldn't you? You, you need, I, I, I am actually an advocate of visual aids. Mm-hmm. So I do think, and I, and the stats are there as well, yeah. that if you add something visual as well as your words, people are going to remember it a lot mm-hmm. more. I, it's just more the way people use yeah, it. I use pictures, pictures okay. that sort of represent sort of a hook, but it's also a transition for me in that I know, okay, yeah. this is the next thing that I'm going to talk about because, you know, I, I, people ask me to share my slides. I said, I'm happy to share them with you, but you're going to learn absolutely nothing from them because they're a bunch exactly. of pictures and there's no text. <laughs> that's when you know it's a good deck, though. Yeah, yeah. That, I say to people, if you can read it and make sense of it, it's not good. Yeah, I, I try to, you know, I'll put quotes, inspirational quotes, and I'll put some other things up there. But I, you know, if, yeah. if, unless I have to put something that's more than five or six words up there, I don't. And I don't leave it up there yeah. very long, you know. And that's one of the things, I think we talked about this the other day. And this is the next question. So, you know, have you sort of had to pivot during this whole COVID-19 stuff? You know, because it's one thing being on stage where you get, you know, there's two two facts. One where you're on stage where they can see your entire body language that goes goes with it. And then you you as a speaker get that vibe back from the audience. You know, you can sort of, you you sort of catch that that wave. But, you know, remotely, now how have you had to pivot to do that? 
I used to do a mix of speaking in person and group workshops and obviously one-on-one coaching. The one-on-one coaching hasn't really changed that much. The, the speaking and the group workshops, I haven't actually done a group workshop yet, although I have a few coming up. And one of the things that I'm looking forward to using is the rooms functionality. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if you've used the putting people into breakout rooms in, in mm-hmm. Zoom, but obviously when I do my workshops, I have, I want to split people up. Mm-hmm. I want to get them talking on a particular topic and then brainstorming ideas and then coming back right. to the group. So that's what I'll be doing in terms of my group mm-hmm. workshops is trying to mimic a little bit of that in-person feel rather than having it just as a one-way download. Mm-hmm. And then same in terms of the, the more the talks, I'm still trying to do as much as I can that I would in person. So I posted as well about this the other day in terms of props. I did try and do a whiteboard here. Mm. I went and bought one from our office works here, but it, I, I just didn't think it was really going to work. So I scrapped that idea. But in terms of, I brought props with me and showed props. So instead of just talking about things, mm-hmm. I actually visually had them there trying to ask as many questions as I can. So getting that interaction, even when I don't have people in the room, Mm -hmm. try as much as I can. Also keep it conversational. Mm -hmm. Uh, I know when I'm on webinars or video sessions and people are actually being a a lot more conversational with me rather than just like straight into the material, I find I connect much more. And you would do that in a room, right? Like you would say, you know, how's everyone going, blah, blah, blah. So, you know, I said to people like, where are you dialing in from? You know, and I showed them because I actually have this here as well. I was like, it's freezing here. I've got my little blanket. So, you know, just things to connect. I think that's what, don't throw that out the window when you're doing it online. And I think you actually have to work out a little bit harder again, because they can't see your body language. They can't see everything. Yes, you have this frame, right? So you have to work with this. Even getting your hands involved is is a challenge sometimes. Um, And the whiteboard thing yeah, is hard. You can't replicate that. Even if you use whiteboard functionality in the app, because then they're not yeah. seeing your face when you're doing it. You're writing and it's, you know, it's a bit dodgy and stuff. So exactly. yeah, that still needs some work. Yeah. If you could tell, so this, we're going to limit you to one story for the rest of your life and it can't be about your daughter. Mm. Sorry. I know he's a good mom. That's no, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> what would you tell? What would that be? To be honest, it would probably be the story that I get asked the most, which is how did I switch from being in cybersecurity to being a public speaking coach and it's one which I feel inspires hope in other people more than anything in that you can actually change and go from a place of being extremely afraid of speaking in public to one where you're doing it and you can control that fear and you can actually enjoy it so that's the one, if I ever miss that in a talk or I gloss over it, that's the mm-hmm. the first thing that people come up and ask me after is, you know, what made you change and mm-hmm. how, how did you do it and how did you overcome the nerves? So, yeah, I think if there was only one story that I could tell, that would be the one that I would choose. Well, well luckily, this is not one. So you can continue telling stories on this. But I do want to loop back real quickly on the, you know, we have a lack of women in tech. Yeah. and and a woeful more lack of, although I see this changing, especially in Microsoft and I have several of them. A couple of my mentors were actually women who were fantastic storytellers. Mm. How do you, you know, how do we solve that problem? How, how do we get, you mm. know, one, get more women interested in tech and two, how do we get them to be the storytellers, you know, that they naturally are? So that's, this is such a 
question with so many layers. Mm -hmm. So one of the statistics, I'm not sure if you saw me post recently, was about just the number of women who are going to put their hand up to speak at a conference. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So if you ask 10 men to speak, generally roughly nine will say yes. And if you ask 10 women to speak, you're lucky if you have one that would say yes. Now, I would have thought that all of that came down to mostly a, a lack of confidence in their ability because as well you will see that same trend when people when women versus men put their hand up to a job interview or something like that interesting though I spoke about this on International Women's Day and one of the women came up to me afterwards and said I know you were talking about you know only one out of ten women will speak and all this sort of stuff but she said I'm happy to speak at a conference. I have no issue there. But she said, it's actually a, an issue of time. I have, I can't remember how many, she said three or four kids. Oh. I just don't have the time to put in the effort to then go and speak. And it was something that I hadn't even thought about mm -hmm. before then. Now, though, having a, a baby that's five months old, it's, <laughs> you know, I could understand a lot more how it's a struggle to mm -hmm. actually prioritize things like that. Uh, especially for the female, um, not saying not so for the male as well. Mm -hmm. So I think there's a little bit more to it than I had originally thought. But fundamentally, the things that perhaps is easier to control is one, the knowing what to talk about. Mm -hmm. I know I had an issue when I was in my corporate life that I just thought I have nothing that I can share that anyone else would be interested in. That was such a, a misconception and a limiting belief of mine. So I think the first thing is that people need to understand they have something that they can share. If they have they have experiences that nobody else have had and they would have made mistakes that nobody else would have made in that particular way. So first thing first, people need to understand they have something that they need to share with other people. They have learnings that would be interesting to other people. It's the story. Mm -hmm. If we're coming back to that again, that's the interesting bit rather than so much the lesson. So if, if people can tell their story, that's the interesting bit. Then it gets to the confidence element women need to feel confident that they have something not even just something to share but they have the ability to share that so then getting the skills you know storytelling mm -hmm. is a skill that can be learned so mm -hmm. building up that skill i think is important and then almost having that attitude of she'll be right because i know if i take if i look at speakers up on stage I might see two different speakers and it might be a very classic sort of, you know, male up on stage and then there might be a woman up on stage. And I saw this play out last year uh, and I knew these two people and the woman was very nervous and really worried about what she was going to say. And the guy was just like, she'll be right. There was no difference in the skills of mm -hmm. those two individuals whatsoever. It was just their mindset. Mm -hmm. So if I know it's, it's a lot easier than it sounds, but being kind to yourself and um, ha having an ability to, to, to laugh at yourself and not be so caught up in the outcome, I think goes a long, long way. Well, yeah, I, I swear, you've watched my TED Talk without even having to watch it, I think, because all the really? stuff that you... <laughs> You've sort of you've sort of gone on. Oh, so with that. good. So um no, thank you, Emily, for this. And how do people get a hold of you? Okay, so LinkedIn is definitely my preferred platform, but I'm also on Twitter and Instagram. You can find me at Emily Edgley. It's 
it, an extra E. So it's E-D-G-E-L-E-Y. Reach out to Emily. Yeah. You know, you, you, you'll come a better storyteller for it. So thanks, Emily. Thanks, Doug. Thanks again for listening. And it would do me a favor if you like what you hear. Please go out to Apple Podcast or your favorite podcast source and give us a rating, a seven or eight or nine. <laughs> Five stars would be great. Leave a comment. That really helps raise the visibility and really helps people uh, know about Tech Story and get that Tech Story out. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.